Hi, this is John Ankerberg, and today I want to present to you my very, very good friend, Dr. Wayne Barber. For 18 years, he was pastor of the huge Woodland Park Baptist Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee. He was co-teacher with Kay Arthur for 14 years at Precept Ministries. He studied with Dr. Spiro Zodiades and co-hosted with him the national radio and TV program, New Testament Light, for 10 years. Wayne has taught the message of living grace, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory, all around the world. He is president, founder, and principal speaker of Living Grace Ministries. And in February of 2011, he returned to Woodland Park Baptist Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee, as senior pastor. Wayne's authored several books. The most recent one is entitled, Living Grace, Letting Jesus Be Jesus in You. And he has also co-authored The Following God, series of studies published by AMG. I hope that you'll enjoy listening to Dr. Wayne Barber. Would you turn with me this morning to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. This is part two of a message we began the last time entitled, Essentials to Understanding Spiritual Growth. What the Apostle Paul is doing is laying a grid work through which we view the rest of chapter 12, 13, and 14. <clears throat> Rules are important. Boundaries are important. Guidelines are necessary. I was playing basketball for Mars Hill College about 50-some pounds ago and several years ago. And we were playing against King College in Bristol, Virginia. Some of you know where that is. And I was just so excited. I was always excited. You know, I guess that's the, that's the way I live in life. I just have a good time everything I do. We had the ball under their goal at the end of the first half. We were one point up, about four or five seconds left in the game, or in the first half. And I decided to do something. I was so excited. I knew our coach would just be thrilled. I was going to take the basketball and throw it through the rafters all the way down to the end of the court just so that it hit inside the court so the clock would start only three seconds or four seconds and it would run out before they could get the ball and we could go in one point up. I did that. I was so excited. My experience was so emotional. You cannot believe what I was going through. I was exhilarated. I took that ball and threw it, and it went through the rafters, never touched anything. I mean, a quarterback of an NFL team would have been jealous. It went through two different rafters at least, and it came down just perfectly inside the court, right at the edge of the court, and bounced out of bounds. And I'm, I'm waiting on the horn to go off because the clock was ticking down, but the horn didn't go off. A whistle blew. And the whistle burst my little emotional bubble. Rules are important. The rule says that the ball has got to touch a player before the horn starts. They got the ball back up under their goal, threw it into their big center. He scored, and we went in. Instead of one point up, we went in one point down at halftime. Oh, our coach loved that. I was trying to find a crack in the floor somewhere that I could crawl into. He walked in looking for me. I'm hiding behind everybody in there. He kicks, drop kicks the trash can off the wall and says, okay, everybody sit down. We're going to have a little basketball clinic. Barbara, would you come here? Uh, I couldn't hide. I walked up. He says, now, Barbara, would you begin in the rule book by explaining that when the ball touches the player, the clock starts, but if the ball doesn't touch the player, the clock does not start. Would you explain that, please? And suddenly it dawned on me, all that emotion, all of that experience had just been popped by rules and boundaries and guidelines. Now, I'll tell you what, that's one thing in the physical, tangible world we live in, but I want to tell you something. 
It is absolutely imperative we understand that in the spiritual dimension, you have rules, guidelines, and boundaries. If there's ever an experience you have and you want to say it's somehow hooked or attached to the Holy Spirit of God, a gift or whatever else, that must somehow fit into the guidelines and boundaries of Scripture or somehow that experience then cannot be spoken of as influenced by the Holy Spirit of God. There are rules, there are boundaries, and there are guidelines. The Corinthian church needed this, these as desperately as we do in the 20th century. They were so upside down, they had absolutely no discernment when it came to spiritual matters. Paul told us in verse 1, they were walking around as spiritual ignoramuses. They were totally unaware of spiritual matters. They didn't have any discernment toward, towards that whatsoever. So Paul begins, and the first seven verses are so important as grid work to understand the rest of chapters 12, 13, and 14. Because he nails down, he lays the boundaries, he lays the guidelines. First thing he shows as we come from our last message, he shows us in these guidelines, in order to understand spiritual gifts, we must get our focus right. Our focus must never be the gift. It has got to be the giver. And Paul wants them to understand that the character of God is as consistent as consistency can be. He is the same yesterday, he's the same today, and he's the same forever. In verse 4, it says the same Holy Spirit gives the gift. In verse 5, the same Lord Jesus gives the ministries. Verse 6, the same God, the Father, gives the effects of those ministries. You can never doubt the character of God. If I have to deal with God through repentance, I'm dealing with the same God I dealt with the other day in joy and rejoicing. He's the same God. He loves me. He has character. There's integrity. He does not change. He is unchangeable. He's impeccable. His character always remains the same. And why is this important? Because the word same, the sameness of God stays right there when it comes to his character and who he is. But his ways are as varied as you can possibly come up with. And it's a contrast here. In verse 4, in verse 5, in verse 6, he contrasts the word same with the word varieties. Now, if you have a King James Version, you're already confused because they changed the word, but it's the same word all the way through. S varieties, same. Varieties, same. There are varieties of gifts, varieties of ministries, varieties of effects. Same Holy Spirit, same Lord Jesus, same God the Father. Now, what does the word varieties mean? Let me ask you a question before I go any further. How many of you in all your study, because I was the same way, thought that the word varieties meant that the gifts were in themselves different? Would you raise your hand? Would you raise anybody else in here? Oh, you do too. You just won't do it. Everybody thinks that. That's not what the word refers to. The word is not referring to the differences in the gifts. It's referring to how they're dispensed. They're not dispensed evenly. Now, why would you think he would mention the sameness of God? Because the character of God, the one who is always consistently loving us, etc., that same God does not work in each individual life the same way. And when it comes to distributing the gifts, when it comes to distributing the ministries, when it comes to distributing the effects, they're going to be different. They're going to be uneven. To some, more gifts. To some, greater ministry. To some, much more of the effect. Now, the word varieties, according to Liddell and Scott, was used in secular Greek when it came to voting. You know, when people would come together for a, a popular vote. And then when they were counting the results, they distributed, they divided the results. In other words, it was very rarely even. And I guarantee if it's in a Baptist church, it never is even on both sides. It's going to be uneven. The word in secular Greek was used 
uh, when the soldiers would divide their troops. Anybody that's ever studied military strategy knows that you don't put the same number of troops here that you put over here. It all has to do with your total purpose of what's going on. And so the word very clearly has to do with the dispensation of those gifts, the giving of those gifts, the dispensing of those gifts to people. It's not in an even manner. Matter of fact, look in verse 11 of chapter 12 where we see a form of this word and we really see a clearer meaning of it. It's not the, just the differences of the gifts, it's the way they're distributed. It says in verse 11, but one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually just as he will. Now the word distributing there is a form of the word we're looking at that's translated varieties in verse 4, 5, and 6. So we see it has to do with the distribution of those gifts. God, who is consistent, gives unevenly the gifts, the ministries, and the effect. His character is the same. His character of love and mercy and, and grace and wisdom and power. But now listen, he's also the God of purpose and his purpose is not our purpose. He's not interested in what I want to tell him should be his purpose. He already has his purpose. He wants to draw me into his purpose and his purpose in the way he does things to accomplish that purpose is not the same as I would go about doing them. But his character is consistent. So to begin to understand the complexity of spiritual gifts, Paul makes a strong statement. The focus must be on the giver and not on the gift. If you're, if you're not living surrender to him, which the Corinthians were not, they were attached to everything of the flesh but him. If you're living surrender to him as a vessel through which he can do his work, then you can have a proper discerning and an understanding of gifts because you trust the giver, you can trust the gift, whether you have the lack of them or the great amount of them, whatever. But remember, his character is consistent, but his ways are very varied. So rule number one, fully trust the giver before you start talking about the gifts because if you don't, you're going to end up being jealous because you didn't get a gift or you're going to end up being arrogant because you got more than somebody else. That's what was going on in Corinth. The second thing that he brings up that's very important before he gets into the subject of gifts, we must understand the fabric of spiritual gifts. This is in review the last time we were together. The Holy Spirit is the fabric of the spiritual gifts. Now I mean by that, he's the actual thread. He's the one who gives the gifts. Verse 4, now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. Now we looked over in 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 10. And Peter in the same subject of spiritual gifts, both serving and speaking gifts, he makes this statement. As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. The word manifold means multicolored. So the Spirit gives the gifts. He's the fabric, but it's multicolored. It's going to look different. I may have a red gift. You may have a blue gift. Somebody else might have a yellow gift. That's what I'm, They're all different is what I'm trying to say. However, the fabric is the same. In other words, there's something about the fabric of those gifts, the character of the one who gave them, that will resound in every one of those gifts. You'll see it in every one of those gifts. They're multicolored, but the same fabric gives those gifts. He holds them together. He's the one doing the portrait so that Christ may be presented through the corporate body called his church. Now, even though these gifts are different, as I said, the Holy Spirit remains the same. Now, this is important. The fruit of the Spirit of God is love. Now, let me explain to you. Anybody can fake a gift, but since he's the fabric of giving those gifts and holds them together and paints the portrait of Christ because of, and through those gifts, he produces the fruit, which is the love of God. 
which is found over in Galatians 5, 22. The fruit of the Spirit is love. Now, you cannot fake the fruit. You can fake the gift, but you cannot fake the fruit. The gifts come wrapped in the fruit of the Spirit of God. You see, the Spirit of God comes to live in us at salvation. He comes with gift-wrapped gifts. <laughs> and they come wrapped in the love of Christ. So whatever gift that you have that reaches out to others has within it the very love and compassionate heart of God to serve and make that gift beneficial to somebody else. That's one of the signals that we've got to stay with as we walk through these three chapters. Not only does he give the gifts, but he's the fabric of them, but he also produces the fruit. And the fruit and the gifts must be together. If you find a person who adamantly, arrogantly talks of his gift with no love for anyone, you're talking about a, a person who's not living surrendered to the Holy Spirit of God. You find a person who would take their experience and they say he was influenced by the Holy Spirit and use it to divide a church. You've got somebody who's not influenced by the Holy Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit of God produces love and in that love is a drawing force. He does not repel. He pulls and, and, and causes people to come to him. So the body of Christ is drawn together when the gifts are manifest in their presence. So to understand the complexity of spiritual gifts, we must understand, first of all, the focus must be the giver, not the gift. But secondly, we've got to understand the fabric. The one who actually gives the gifts is the Holy Spirit. And he not only gives the gifts, which are varied in their colors, varied mercy, serving all the different functions, but also he produces the fruit, which wraps itself around those gifts. You cannot say you are influenced by the Spirit of God if that love, which is his fruit, is missing anywhere in, in the effects of those gifts. Well, the focus and the fabric. Now that brings us up to where we're going to start today. The third thing is the function of spiritual gifts. Why did God choose to give spiritual gifts? What are they for? You see, we must understand that spiritual gifts are not primarily for us. Now that doesn't mean to say you're not going to enjoy those gifts as you minister them to other people. But they're not given for us. They're given for others. It is said of the Lord Jesus in the Gospels that the Son of Man did not come to be ministered unto. He came to minister. So if God lives in us, God gave us the gifts, He's the fabric, then His whole purpose is not to edify me, it's to edify you through me, to edify me through you. It is not personal edification, it is corporate edification. Gifts are given to serve one another. Verse 5 says there are varieties of ministries and the same Lord. Now we nailed it down last week that when you see the term Lord in the New Testament capitalized, it's referring to the Lord Jesus Christ. So it's the Lord Jesus Christ that affects the ministry through the gifts that the Holy Spirit has given. The whole Trinity is involved in this work of God on this earth through the believers who have received Christ Jesus into their hearts. The word for ministry there in verse 5 is the key word. It is the word diakonia. It is the word that we get the word deacon from. It literally means to serve. Now, the first time you really see it come forth as a word that denotes what people do, ministry and churches and all, is found in Acts chapter 6. Now, I want you to turn over there. Because there's a beautiful principle that comes out of Acts chapter 6, verse 1 and 2, and then contrasted with verse 4. Acts chapter 6 and verse 1. The word ministries, diakonia. Acts chapter 6 and verse 1. We see it in verse 1. We see the verb form of it in verse 2. He says in verse 1, Now at this time, while the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint arose on the part of the Hellenistic Jews against the native Hebrews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily serving 
of food. Somehow they were being left out. When the tables were set and the people would come to eat as the early church uh, ministered to one another in that way, the, somehow these people were being left out. The word serving in verse 1 is the word theokonia. Now in verse 2 it says, And the twelve summoned the congregation of the disciples and said, It is not desirable for us to neglect the word of God in order to serve tables. Now that's the verb form, theokoneo. And that has the very, come from the very same root of understanding here. So the first thing we see about it in Acts chapter 6 when it comes to members of the body of Christ ministering, it is in the attitude of serving, tangible, physical serving. Do you need another glass of tea? Is there anything I can do for you? Can I cut your grass? What can I do for you? That kind of tangible service. But we have an interesting thing here. When you contrast verse 1 and 2 with verse 4, you really see the picture even broaden. Look at verse 4. You see, when the disciples said that they, the word, they wanted service to be done by others, for others, they said in verse 4, But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. That's the word diakonia. So you see two things here. You see the spiritual serving of the word of God for the benefit of others. But you also see those who are serving in a physical and a tangible way, setting up chairs, doing whatever behind the scene. You see two kinds of things here, but both of them are in an effort to serve others. They have the heart of Christ to minister, to serve. My gift is not mine for me. It's for you. And if, there, if I surrender to him, then he will allow that gift to work for your benefit. And so the whole attitude is, unselfishly, you want to serve others through the giftedness that God has given to you. So the definition of the word ministry, the akonia, would have to be any discharge of service in genuine love for the sake of others, no matter if it's sitting up chairs or ministering the word of God. This is serving one another. Oh, how we need to understand that. I alluded to it last week, and sometimes when I do, I get a little emotional because of the hurt over the years. But there have been a lot of people who have told me to my face that I didn't love them because I didn't visit them or I didn't do something tangible for them. Yet they'll come and hear you preach, and the moment you finish preaching, they'll attack you, not even realizing that what you just did cost you the whole week of studying in order to love them so that your gift could be used in serving them. See, this is what happens in the church. When you're not understanding the giver and you're looking strictly at the gift, you're going to see it only through your own gift. And you're not going to recognize how he has made the body multicolored and how that many are, are different colors than you are. They're going to serve in a different way than you serve. And you can't judge others by your gift. You can't do that. You have to allow others to be who God has made them and to work through the gifts that God has given them. When the gifts are used properly, when God is enforcing those gifts, then the fruit of the Spirit is wrapped around them. Then they'll even have an effect on the world that's around us. I guarantee you, when the world starts seeing Jesus in this church or other churches, it will be to the measure of how you and I live surrendered to Christ and let our gifts build, unify, edify one another. So another truth in understanding spiritual gifts. It's a, it's a rule. The gift is not given to benefit you. The gift is given to benefit others. You see, what was happening in Corinth was it was benefiting them, but not others. But we'll hit that a little bit more clearly in a, in a further verse. So the question must be asked, what's the use of having the gift, understanding what it is, if it's not being used to minister life to others, if it's not used to unify and edify the body 
of crows. Matter of fact, to nail this point, look down at verse 7 just real quickly. Glance at it. We're going to come back and look at it more fully in a little while. But Paul just really nails this in verse 7. He says, but to each one, leaves no one out, is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. And that phrase is the common good means for, to others, not just to me. Let me say it again. If what you're calling your gift, you're saying it's influenced by the Holy Spirit of God, is not in any way benefiting others in the body of Christ, then somehow what you're talking about does not fit with what Paul is talking about in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 through chapter 14. You see, so much of what's going on in Christianity today are people defending that which edifies themselves, not that which builds up and edifies others. And so the gifts have got to minister to others. That's what they were designed for. They were not designed to build us up. They were designed to build others up. So the focus, the fabric, the function of gifts. Why were they given? So that the body might minister to one another. No one has all those gifts. The Holy Spirit is the giver. Yes, he has him. But he has a function in the body of Christ. You must understand it that way. There's no such thing as a healthy body with selfish organs. Can you imagine if my liver which is not seen, which does a very, very important task, very menial task, never gets applauded for it. If my liver one day decided, you know, I am sick and tired of not being recognized. I'm not getting anything out of this. I quit and it goes on strike. Do you realize what happens to the rest of my body? So you see, you must understand, there's no sense in having a gift and even knowing what it is if you're not going to live surrendered to Christ and let the giver minister life through that gift. Absolutely. If you're not allowing God to use the gift in your life, he takes care of the rest of it. You don't have to find a staff member to give you a ministry in the church. God, the Holy Spirit is the only staff member you need to go to, and you get a surrender to him. He'll give the ministry. He'll cause the effect, and he'll bless others around you. But if you have a gift and know what it is, and you're not using it to benefit the body of Christ, what happens is you've become a cancer in the body, and instead of benefiting it, you're draining it of the life that God wants to use and minister to others. Well, fourthly, the follow-up to spiritual gifts. Now, I'm not very good at alliteration. I've said that many times. Probably a thousand times I have made the statement of a friend of mine who alliterates very well. He alliterates even his sub-points. I question if God understands his prayers. But he's going to get to heaven one day, and I told him, I said, you know, you're going to get to heaven one day, and you're going to say, oh, God, you're my power, you're my plan, you're my person, and God's going to say, shut up. Tired of all this alliteration. But anyway, I, I made an alliteration on this one. I stayed with the F's all the way through. Didn't spend too much time in the dictionary. I stayed right in here. The follow-up to spiritual gifts. Now, why would I say the follow-up? Well, personally, I hear a lot of people come to me and say, Oh, Brother Wayne, I have this gift. Whoa. You know, you've got to follow that up for a little while. You've got to take it and see where it goes. You've got to make sure you follow it up to see if the effect to that ministry that came from that gift is a divine effect. Anybody can boast and say, I have a gift, but I want to tell you something. God puts the proof of the pudding here. The effect has got to speak of him and never speak of us. So that's one of the first things you've got to learn is if, if a person is being moved by God through a gift and a ministry, then the effect will not draw attention to that person. The effect will draw attention to Christ. We must see that. The question arises then, how can we tell, Wayne? If, if what one claims to have, is, is it really of the Spirit? I mean, is, is this ministry of the Spirit? Is it a spiritual gift? Well, if it's to be understood between, as, as different from ordinary talents, how do we go about doing that, Wayne? I mean, come on, you're telling us this stuff. Listen, anybody can build a crowd and call it a gift and a ministry and an effect. Anybody can do that. 
Miss Bertha Smith, who died at 100 years old, used to talk about in her conferences how many ministers came to know Christ. It's just so good and healthy to have a saved pastor. I don't know, somehow it just works its way out in the church. Anybody can build a crowd. We can put a can of beer out here in the, in, in the, in the parking lot some Friday night and ask all the kids in Chattanooga to come, and we can build a crowd. Anybody can build a crowd. But to say that was the work of the Holy Spirit of God, you better be careful. You better be careful because it has a significant mark on it that it's divine, that it's eternal. Anybody can take up money. Anybody can do that, and some of them very well. I do it worse. I'm the worst person at that. Every time I've mentioned the budget being low in this church, we've had the lowest offering we've had in months. I'm really gifted at that. But you've got a lot of people can take up money that don't know Christ from a hole in the wall. What do you mean, Brother Wayne? You ever been to a political rally? <laughs> Think they can't take up money? Anybody can organize and call it a gift, call it a ministry, and call it an effect. Matter of fact, there are, there are seminars in church growth today that say that if you slick like, if you stabilize the church with organization and you put this guy here and this guy here and you do this, you do that, you'll have these results. And they're absolutely wooing pastors all over our country. And pastors are going away thinking that if they're properly organized, then they somehow can fabricate the very effect that only God can produce. And that's hogwash. You can't do it. So how do you know the difference of when it's God and when it's man? Because man can be pretty smart for his own britches. How do you know it's man and when it's God? 1 Corinthians 12, 6. And there are varieties of effects. In other words, the effects are going to be as different as the giving of the gifts. They're going to be uneven. You see, this is why you can't, you can't measure these effects. You may have a guy down in the, the Cajun country of Louisiana serving Christ with a heart that's bigger than anybody in this room, but you'll never know about him, and you'll never read his book, and you'll never see him on television, but one day in heaven you'll know who he is because God knows where he is. You can't measure effects in churches like you can measure effects in businesses. Oh, if we could understand this. Oh, Brother Wayne, you must be successful because the church is so big. Listen, only eternity will tell whether or not this was God or whether this was man. You don't measure effects by crowds, by how much is given, by all these kind of things. God measures those effects. Dory Van Stone spent eight years over in New Guinea and never saw a convert. Never saw a convert. Her board told her she wasn't obedient to Christ and surrendered enough because she saw no converts. Well, I tell you what, if you hang around for a while, now there's about 650,000 of them over there as a result of the seeds that were planted when she was there. But you see how people try to measure these effects? They're given unevenly. And God's the one who gives them. And there are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons. Now, we want to key on the phrase, the last phrase, the same God who works all things in all persons. Now, the word for works there is the word energeo, which literally means to energize something. Now, I want to explain something to you. Take a little sidetrack here in, in case you're in this service and don't understand this. The Christian life is not you getting saved and trying to do things for God, impress Him with your results until He comes for the church. That is not the Christian life. The Christian life is not only God saving you from the penalty of sin, but God taking residence in your life to daily save you from the power of sin. He came in not to renew you. He came in to replace you. This is God we're talking about. These gifts come from Him. It's His ministry through us. That's Christianity. Let me give this illustration, which I've given a thousand times, and my shirt is sweaty and my wife is fretting because I'm doing this, but I'll try. You hold this, cut, this coat up. 
And I say to this sleeve, sleeve, you raise your arm up. <laughs> that coat just hangs there like an idiot. It doesn't, it can't raise his arm up. There's nothing in the coat that can make it raise it up. But I put that coat on. <laughs> Life comes inside the coat. And I say to that same sleeve, sleeve raise up. And it raises up. Why? Because of the coat? No, because of the life energizing the coat. That's effects, folks. That's God inside of us. Effecting a ministry that you could never in a million years take credit for. And giving effect that makes you want to bow down before him for all of eternity. That he would ever think for a second that God could use us. Well, if he, if he comes to live in us, you can't separate that from spiritual gifts. He's the energizing force in us. He's the person who energizes the gift. He's the person who energizes the ministry. He's the person who energizes its effect. He fills all in all. And I'll tell you what, the effect is that when it's finished, then the, effect, the, the attention is not drawn to us. The attention is drawn to him. It's the God the Father who causes the divine effects, the same God who works all things in all persons. Now, there can be no more comprehensive statement made of God in Scripture than the phrase, the same God who works all things in all persons. Actually, the word persons is not in the context. It's the same God who works all things in all. Persons are included, but not ex it doesn't exclude other things. God's in charge of everything if you haven't realized that yet. Matter of fact, you've ever studied over in Samuel when it talks about a messenger, uh, a demon of Satan was sent from God? <laughs> Did I ever kind of knock your theology? Or over when Paul said a messenger of Satan was sent to buffet him? Do you realize God even has Satan on a leash? He doesn't originate what he does, but he takes what he does and even uses it to work into his own plan. God's a sovereign God. He's, he, he works all in all. He's in charge of this whole thing. He's in charge of our country right now. He's in charge of our president right now. That's why we have to get in touch with him because his character is consistent and biblical and solid. That's who God is. And so we just surrender to him because he works all in all. Now, the phrase there is found again over in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 28. And it's an interesting phrase because it points to his millennial reign. Now, I know some of you don't believe in the thousand-year millennial. That's okay. If you say we're in it right now, that's all right. You enjoy it. But I'm going to enjoy the next one because it's coming because I believe there is one. When Christ rules and reigns on this earth. And in verse 28 of 1 Corinthians 15, he says, And when all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself also will be subjected to the one who subjected all things to him, that God, the totality of God, may be all in all. Now, in that passage, he's pointing to the future that has not taken place. It'll be no question that God is in control, that God is filling all and working all in all. But the question comes in the context, how is he now, present day, working all in all? What does that mean? Well, the all things in our text of verse 6 has to be the gifts, the ministries, and the effects. It has to be. That's what he's talking about. He works all things and all, all things. He, he's the God who works all things and all persons. He's in control of ministry. You see, what we've got to get in our mind is Christ, yes, he's with the Father, but his spirit is still here on earth, and he lives in us. God is still working. God is still ministering. God is still doing down here on this earth. How, Wayne? Through the people that believe in him, through the people in whom he resides. He's given the gifts. He's given the ministries. He's given the effects. You know, that's why when we took the course, Experiencing God, so many people said, wow, where have we been? That's been the ministry we've had for 
17 years here, but finally somebody put it in a book form. God, who's always working all things in all, in all, he's the one who says, would you like to be involved with me? Would you like to be a part of what I'm doing? Oh, yes, Lord. Do we have to get a committee? Kill the committee. I love the world, so I didn't send a committee. Let's, let's don't have a committee. But you individually get surrendered to me. That's the whole secret of the Christian life. You, 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 all of us get surrendered. Bail out, abandon to him. And God draws you in to what he wants to do in the church. It all speaks of him. It doesn't speak of us. You can't stand up at the end of the year and give the state of the church. He has to stand up and give the state of the church. He's the only one. He's the only one who energizes the gift, energizes the ministry, and energizes the effect. Now, this truth, to me, shows us why no human, no human, can ever take credit for anything that God does through his life. God, whose character remains the same, his ways are varied, and he will not work the same in me as he will in somebody else. And there's no formula here except surrender and attaching ourselves to him. The word panta, all, he, does all, he works all in all. The first word there, panta, has the idea it could be corporate or it could be individual. There are churches that have a worldwide ministry. There are churches that God just te- seeks to do a powerful work through. But there are other churches that have more of a narrow ministry right where they are. Again, just like the pastors, you'll never know much about them, but God is using them. And one day when we stand before him, it won't be measured like the world measures anything. It'll be measured the way God says it'll be measured. So, all could refer individually or corporately. Not a single gift can work independently of the giver. And all of them work together corporately. And when they do, they're harmonized by the giver in the life of the church, which spreads to the life in the world, to the individual, and their effects can never be predicted. Nobody can predict because it's God doing it. It's not man doing it. It's God doing it through man. God divides his gifts to execute his total central plan. He's got a plan and a purpose on this earth. There will be effects, but those effects will speak of him. Just because one is organized does not mean he has the gift of organization. Just because one can speak does not mean he has the gift of speaking. God has to energize the gift. God has to energize the ministry, and it's God who energizes the effect. If it's truly effect, if it's truly God's effect, then it will point back to him and never point to us. So many people today in churches, I've been in them, I've done it, have the mentality that if we just get the the world's idea of the right man and put him in that position and all this kind of stuff, we could do it for God and he'll bless it. Somebody said years ago in Southern Baptist, they said the Holy Spirit could leave the average Southern Baptist church for six months and nobody would ever miss him because nobody depends on him anyway. Who needs the Holy Spirit when you have a committee? God gives the gift. God gives the ministry. And God gives the effect. And you may never be able to measure that effect down here on this earth. Uh, television. Is God in television? Us being on television? Hey, we'll find out down the road. We're trying our best to understand. We've, we've come off to another hour. But I want to tell you something. You will never be able to qualify having a television ministry by the results that you're going to see down here. It's whether or not God said to have it. If he said to have it, have it. If he says take it out, take it out. That's his business. It's God's ministry, not ours. Well, the focus, the fabric, the function, the follow-up. <laughs> And then finally, the fallacy of spiritual gifts. Here's the fallacy that I believe that most people make errors in, and particularly the Corinthian church. I want you to look over in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 3 before we go any further than this. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 3. Something that 
speaks of the character of the Holy Spirit that you don't find anywhere else. That's beautiful to me. It tells one of the main major things that the, that the Holy Spirit does. Not only does he edify others, but he unifies others. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. Verse 3 of chapter 4 in Ephesians says, Being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And I want you to notice there, they did not say produce it. It said to preserve it. When the Holy Spirit produces that love, which is his fruit, the Holy Spirit will produce a unity. When the gifts are being ministered to, ministered, and, and when the effects are there and they're God's effects, it causes the body to come together. It causes the body to be built up. It causes the body to be unified. Now listen, if you're saying your gift is of the Holy Spirit and you're actively dividing others because of your gift, you're not measuring to what Paul says here. Look in verse 7 now in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Here's the key that I want you to see. Now to me this is the guideline that sums up everything we've said here. Verse 7, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. He says, but to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Now, the word each one means each one. Nobody's left out. Every member of the body of Christ has been given a gift. Through that gift, God has ordered a ministry. And through that ministry, God determines the effect. Now, I might remind you again that there are no selfish organs in a healthy body. Remember, we said that once. We'll say it twice. The literal ending of the verse in the Greek should be toward the profiting. Now, it's translated for the common good, and that's, that's okay. But the words itself, there are three Greek words, and I'll tell you how I got that. Pro, which means toward something. To, which is the definite article, which identifies something. And then the word simpheron, which is the word comes from two words, seen, and, and the word pharaoh, which means to bring together. In other words, to bring together, toward the bringing together of the body. And that's where you get the idea that it's a profiting the body. The gifts do not divide the body. The gifts unify the body. The gifts edify the body. You say, why are you hammering on that? Because there are gifts today that are doing more dividing in the body of Christ than they are uniting the body of Christ. I'm trying to show you something. He's given us a grid. And if we'll just look at this grid, you say, well, Wayne, you said that the gift has got to be administered to others. Well, I didn't say that. He said it. Well, you, or if you're saying the gift then unifies the body, I, there's all kinds of division even in my family over what I say is my gift. Well, now listen, whatever experience you're having, don't put it in 1 Corinthians 12 because the guidelines are as clear as the nose on your face. It's toward the profiting. And the idea is to bringing people together, not to divide them, but to unify and to edify. Now, what was going on in Corinth? What was going on in Corinth? You think they were being unified? You think they really had a grasp of spiritual gifts? In chapter 11, verse 18, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 4, in the first place, when you come together as a church, now he speaks specifically of having the Lord's Supper, but this is more broad than that. He says, I hear that divisions exist among you. And in part, he says, I believe it. Whatever they were doing, saying it was influenced by the Holy Spirit of God, was in no way unifying and in no way edifying the body of Christ. They were divisive. And their gifts that they said were influenced by the Holy Spirit of God was nothing more than fleshly ability that they were attributing credit to God. Paul is teaching us that they're guidelines. They're guidelines. Our focus has got to be the giver, not the gift, because if you don't, 
You'll always wonder why your ministry is not what somebody else's is or what effect here or what gift you have. Hey, it's God. Listen, listen, if we can just catch this. If you're under grace, then anything less than hell is grace. What in the world are we worried about how many gifts we got or how big or little our ministry is? Just be thankful to be a part of the whole thing. You didn't seek after God. God sought after you. And thank God he lets us experience what he wants us to experience that he's up to. Paul is teaching us not only that, our understanding must be the Holy Spirit is the fabric. And if he's the fabric that gives all the gifts, even though they're multicolored, there's the fruit that wraps it around. Now, if that love is missing, if that love is missing, and dear God, how many times I have been guilty of doing what I do in the flesh and God was nowhere around. It's been the thing that's been the most fearful thing in approaching 1 Corinthians 12 because I know the differences of opinion. And I have two big worries. One is I know... I, I know even who some people are that differ. I know. But that's not my biggest worry. My biggest worry is I can hammer you if you give me half a chance. I'll, ex I'll embarrass the stew out of you. That's my flesh. And I've had to pray like never before that the love of God somehow will couch the words that we're saying so we can understand that they edify and unify. They do not divide the body of Christ. Well, the function of the gifts is for others. The follow-up of the gifts, they will have a divine effect. And you may not be able to measure them down here. Don't be so quick to say this is God. Israel thought their prosperity was God in the Old Testament, but it was a judgment. It wasn't his blessing. Fifthly, the fallacy of the gifts is one cannot say that they have a gift when that gift is dividing rather than edifying and building up the body of Christ and unifying the body of Christ. Rules are important. Guidelines are important. Boundaries are important, particularly when you come to talking about spiritual gifts. Whatever feeling we have, whatever experience we have, you know, we're coming down to where I know everybody's wondering what I'm going to say on the gift of tongues. <laughs> I mean, I, I know that. I know that. I'm nervous about that. I have a friend who's down in Colorado, and he said, you know, Wayne, I'm having a problem in my church. I said, what's wrong? He said, man, there's a line, dividing line in our church. It's just causing all kinds of bitterness. And so Let me ask you a question. Which of the gifts mentioned ever today cause any more division than the mentioning of the gift of the gift of tongues? <laughs> if you can find one after the service, would you come and tell me? And yet the gift is to unify and to edify the body of Christ. Now, we're going to talk about it. We're going to look at it the best we can understand in Scripture. But I want to tell you something. There's more division over that one gift than anything else. That tells you something to me of the grid that Paul has laid out. My friend down in Colorado said, you know, Wayne, he said, they tell me they want the feeling. They want to know that God's around. They're looking for this sign. He's so witty. He, he, matter of fact, he came out of drug addiction. <laughs> he worked for the mafia in New York and got saved. I mean, he's a little raw. <laughs> he's not quite like those of us. I mean, he just sort of shoots from the hip or from the lip, really. And you know what he said to him? He said, well, if you want a feeling, he said, I went to hear Van Halen one time in Pittsburgh in a big coliseum. I was high on drugs. He said, man, I had an experience and I had a feeling. That's what somebody's looking for. Or somebody says, I want a feeling. Well, I heard another fellow say, well, hit yourself in the head of the hymn book. I'll give you a feeling. <laughs> but don't let that experience, no matter how emotional it is, no matter how real to you it is, don't you let it become the ground and the foundation for Scripture. You let Scripture become the ground and foundation of that experience. And just like in that basketball game, 
Oh, I was so exhilarated. Emotions were high. I was pumped until the rules popped my bubble. And I had to go back and reckon with Scripture. No longer could I claim an experience. Bottom line. Hey, I love you. I hope you're wading through this with me. For additional resources, log on to jashow.org. That's jashow.org.